1: Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, sadly, Nets winning streak ends against the Suns, 113-107. How are we feeling?
2: Black Friday extended to Black Saturday.
1: Yeah, it felt like the Nets had a hangover in this game to start. Not great energy, not a great effort throughout, but there were some bright spots and some good moments. But, Jack, before we jump into a quick reminder, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Now, Jack, where do you want to start? Good or the bad,
2: Nick? Where do you want to go with this? Because there's a lot the of... What- Sure, sure. Well, you kick off things with maybe one of the worst triple doubles I've ever seen a player put up in James Harden.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's numerous things that were bad in this game. Number one, James Harden had probably one of his worst performances, if not his worst performance as a net. Uh, Steve Nash didn't make great adjustments in this game. Uh, A couple different players didn't play well. And then just overall, the energy to start this game was terrible, especially when you're going against a team that's on a 15-game winning streak, one of the best teams in the league in the Phoenix Suns. The Nets just kind of showcased no juice. And then to just had insult to injury, they're just throwing the ball out of bounds at different points in this game. We're talking about 20-plus turnovers in this game. And a lot of them, like, yeah, give the Suns credit, they played good defense, but a lot of them were just on forced turnovers and to the point where James Harden threw the ball out of bounds at least three times in this game.
2: Yeah, he yeah, had seven himself. The Nets had eight in the first quarter, 20 in total. And the points off those turnovers, Nick, they had 20 points off our 20 turnovers. So you take away 10 of those minutes, win this game, which they didn't deserve to win. They were awful. Yep. There was like they played maybe eight good minutes out of 48. And those were, you know, towards the end of the second quarter and a little bit in that fourth quarter where Kevin Durant went on a bit of a run and Patty hit a three here and there and Benbury, who was awesome tonight. We'll get to him. Yep. It was just this performance of James Harden is left me worrisome Nick you know and look I'll happily eat my own words in another post game recap if James Harden puts up a 30 point or 40 point triple double against a good team but he hasn't been good against good teams and this is one of the worst games that I've seen him play and again maybe prisoner of the moment stuff and there's probably games in OKC where he's coming off the bench but in meaningful basketball, we're looking back at last season, Nick, and reflecting upon it, I was seeing all of the videos and everyone quote-tweeting of the performance, and we saw it before the game of the Yes Network. One of his best games that he's ever played, and one of his best games as a Brooklyn net, leading the Nets in, from their biggest comeback ever. You know, they were down 21 points at halftime, and there was a chance where it's just like, all right, James, you got a second half to try and put it up or shut up. And he shut up because he was truly, truly awful. And to start the game, Nick, and I think that, I put this out there and not much really changed other than maybe one or two drives to the basket and funnily enough when James Harden actually shows a little bit of purpose and tries to initiate and some offense and be aggressive when there's 20 seconds on the shot clock rather than 10 then the Nets actually get some shit going it was just like okay dribble 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 alright I'll get up the court with 16 seconds to spare just in time after the 8 seconds you know um, defensive the backcourt shot clock whatever the hell the, the rule is and then wait again. I'll dribble a little bit more. I'll get a screen here. I'll get a screen there. I'll dribble a little bit more. I'll just give the ball to Kevin and and he can do something with six seconds left on the shot clock. It's infuriating because yeah. we've seen, you know, the offensive performances from the Nets, where it's just like there's cohesion, there's ball movement, there's decision making, there's precision, there's engagement, and then there's just this bullshit that James Harden's done, putting a goddamn turkey a couple of days after Thanksgiving. You want $60 million on his next contract, Nick, you know, putting off contract talks once they be in Brooklyn. If he's going to play like this, then fans are going to want him in Brooklyn and you're not getting $60 million, my guy. You can spend some of that money in some of the Houston strip clubs if you want. But man, this was just an absolutely pitiful performance from James Harden tonight. And I might be going a little bit too hard, Nick, but it's it's Sunday and I want to have a good Sunday and I wake up and I'm, you know, the sun's out in Melbourne. Yeah, lean into my Monday. Want to have a good vibes heading into the end of the weekend. Saturday night isn't good for Nets fans. Sunday isn't good for me as an Aussie right down here. Uh, and James Harden is a big reason because of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not probably as upset as you are or other Nets fans. I think I'm looking at it more from a one game sample size. And I think the thing that sticks out to me is like the sun's made him work and you're going against Mikel Bridges, you know, arguably the best wing defender in the NBA this season, and like you have to grind. Like the game is going to be a grind. It's not necessarily going to be fun basketball all the time, and it just felt like James Harden wanted none of that. And I'm not sure if this is going to be like a long-term issue with him or whatever, but at least it's only one game, and it just for me it's just like I wasn't as worried about like his skill. It was like more so his mentality, his body language, and just like the effort he was showcasing in this game. It's not like there, like you mentioned, there was plays where he looked fine, and then there was just so many plays and so many possessions where it was just so lackadaisical. And like I'm making the Thanksgiving jokes on Twitter, but it really feels like somebody who literally had a plate at Thanksgiving and then hopped on the court to play a game. Like he just had the itis. Like he just was not moving well and he really had no interest in scoring. There was a play in this game where he had one of his turnovers. He had probably a wide open floater and he just threw the ball to campaign like he could have just taken the shot i think that's that's a stranger thing for the entire season and this game and maybe is just like a bigger example of that is his lack of aggression scoring the nets need him to be you know a 20 point game scorer, especially against these elite teams and it seems like he has no interest in doing that he
2: airballed a floater today he airballed a freaking floater like that was just uh, there's not enough shitty things that James Harden did today to balance out the one or two good things that he did. Like, he scored 12 points. And he was at... LaMarcus Aldridge had 18. DeAndre Bermudry had 18. Obviously, Kevin Durant had 39. James Harden scoring 12 points in the absence of our best shooter and in the absence of our third best maybe second best offensive player it's just not going to cut it. You can have yeah. as many assists as you want and a lot of those assists are like cheap assists because it's just like oh, I'll give it to Lamarcus with five seconds left and he's got a, a, a pretty open-ish mid-ranger. Like that's
1: not good offense. Like because obviously well, I'll say this on. like some of the, the assists like he still gets credit for them like he is creating things but I think like the fact is that he is too centric in looking for assists rather than playing it in a balanced system. Like he, he's running a lot of pick and rolls or pick and pops with LaMarcus to get LaMarcus a look rather than just kind of reading the defense and being like all right you know I'm gonna play this and this might be a possession for me to score like he did have some great pass in this game like there's a couple passes to Bembry which were great but it's just like nah you can't be this like traditional point guard you're not you know you're not Chris Paul like if this was Chris Paul's game for the Suns that'd be a lot more acceptable because that's what they're anticipating from him. And I think, what, did Chris Paul even score more points than him in this game? Yeah, Chris Paul had 22. But I'm just saying, like, if Chris Paul wants to be kind of passive and just set up the offense, that's what you expect. The Nets can't afford that from James Harden.
2: He's not a, point, a traditional point guard. He's not He's not Ricky Rubio. Like, and Ricky Rubio has been more offensive for the Cleveland Cavaliers this yeah. season, or at least for larger stretches. And I—, I I was just really disappointed in in the fact that this is a big game going up against the best team, if not one of the two or three best teams in the league.
1: team he's killed his whole career, too. I saw someone post stats. Like, he hasn't had a game, like, under 25 against the Suns since he's been, like, with the Rockets.
2: And it it shows that, you know, today was just uh, one of those really, 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 really bad games from James Harden. And, you know, I posted, like, a million goddamn shitty lookalikes of him and saying that they would have (laughs) been better than him tonight. It was just... Uh, I, the most disappointing thing was, was it was against this team and it was against, you know, a former teammate who's got a little bit of beef within, in Chris Paul and Chris Paul controlled this game. You know, when there were moments that the Phoenix Suns need a bucket, 37, 36-year-old Chris Paul's like, all right, I'll get a mid-range bucket here. Whereas James Harden just had no engagement and, and had no, it just feels like he, he's normally a guy that has just such great innate basketball feel and it just feels like he's just out there and the ball's getting rolled out. It's just like, all right, And he's just slow. Like, he's just slow mentally, physically, and in so many ways, more than one. And, you know, whether that's a conditioning issue, but I don't think that conditioning affects your mind, but he looked slow mentally. I don't know whether it's your physical affecting your mental. He looked hungover. (laughs) he, He looked hungover. He looked drunk. He looked high he looked everything and in between he looked lazy and and that's a a thing you can forgive is is guys taking shots and missing them and you know if you get open shots and i think that's what you know when we'll talk about patty mills that i'll probably you know i'll maybe it's a little bit irrational a little bit biased for me but i saw some people you know throwing sh- shade at patty mills on the timeline i'm just like what the f- what the hell are you talking about like it's like and patty having like Two or three shots in like the first half. And I think that the Suns did a good job of you know preventing him from getting some some shots. And I said yesterday, watching the Knicks game, I'm like, damn, Mikael Bridges, this guy's one of the best defenders in the league. And he's gonna give James Harden fits tomorrow night. And I have people in my replies have been like, nah, nah, man, nah, man. It's James Harden. I'm like, okay, we'll wait. And it was true. Like James Mikael Bridges outplayed James Harden today on, on both exactly. ends of the floor in, in, in a lot of stretches. So look, there's one game. And I might be a prisoner of the moment, as you alluded to, Nick, but it's there's been more than one game that we've probably had these discussions about James Harden, probably, probably not to the extent and to the extreme nature of it, but the fact that it's happening you know, now 20-ish games into the season, that's where it's just like, okay, well, we're past November now. We're getting very, very close to December. We're getting very close to Christmas. We're getting close to the All-Star break. When are we going to start to say that man James Harden might be a different player I, I don't think that it's it's right to say it just yet, but there's there's just something up he 's not the James Harden that is that of even last season, and James Harden last season wasn 't the best version of james harden he wasn't you know he was mvp ish contention for a lot of the games, but he's certainly not the dominant James Harden force that he was in Houston. he was the last season's version of James Harden it's hard to know what version of the beard that he is right now. And it's not a version that I like or Nets fans like. And I'm sure if he's critical of himself as, as we are that he likes him in himself.
1: Yeah. I think the interesting thing with James Harden right now is it's like such a difficult time determining is like, is this an impact of the injury conditioning him getting his rhythm or like all these different factors? Or is this like, him just not showing up for certain games. Like the game that pops to mind is that one against Detroit where he's going to the backcourt for the ball and he doesn't grab it. And then I think Sadiq Bay grabs and gets the easy dunk. It's like those type of situations. It's just so confusing because that's like a lot of this, like just from my perspective, and I'm sure maybe you shared some of these same thoughts, was like, like a lack of effort, like a lack of engagement of like being locked in for the game. And that's just not something you typically say about James Harden a lot, you know, especially in like the fact he's been carrying all those Houston teams over the last couple of years like always being engaged always trying to win and like yeah he's definitely played bad halves and stuff but it's like he didn't even show up in the second half like sometimes in the past when he's played like shit in the first half the second half you'll see him kind of turn it up there there really wasn't that today and i think that's what's just like it just kind of leaves you confused
2: it's yeah it's super confusing nick so i don't know what to think i'll
1: and that but makes me, h- Jack, I got another point. And it kind of carries into the team. Sorry to cut you off. But like in the sense of like I'm having a hard time gauging them against this high level talent because it'd be different if they like play these games and they play hard and they lose by five points in the end. But there's like moments where they literally just like don't show up. Like, the first quarter of this game, they just didn't show up. And it's like, yeah, you just dug yourself in a 14-point hole. And a lot of, like, the issues are either, you know, effort-related or obviously there are some adjustment things from Steve Nash. But it's still, like, I'd love to see them play hard against a good team and then be able to actually have real takes about it.
2: The, the losses this year that the Nets have had, makes the Bucs, the Hornets, the Heat, the Bulls, the Warriors, and the Suns. Other than the Hornets, all of those teams are some of the best teams in the NBA yeah. right now. The best win that the Nets have had this season... Maybe the Sixers, maybe the Hawks, maybe the Wizards. You know, those three teams aren't amazing. They're good enough. You know, the Sixers will probably, they had Embiid, but Embiid wasn't the best version of himself. So, look, the, the Nets need to get a statement win. You know, and I don't think it's going to be like against the Knicks. It's going to be against a, a Jazz, a Suns, maybe not a Lakers. It was a great opportunity. It was a really great opportunity. You know, the Suns come over back-to-back. Again, a f- not a fake back-to-back, but it's a back-to-back where you get to stay in the same city. And you don't have to actually get yeah, on was the was plane. Yeah, so it was, and they were able to you know rest a little bit during that game. So uh, thank you again, New York Knicks fans and New York Knicks basketball for for that one. But (laughs) insane that they were just awful, awful today. And James Harden because he has so much responsibility to lead this team and to make his teammates better. You know, you're looking just at the box score, you're like, oh, triple double and fourth triple double of the season, and you know, he's and it's just like, no, this was a a truly, truly awful game. Like one of the the worst he's ever put up as a Brooklyn man.
1: Yeah, and I really don't think the Suns played incredible in this game either. Like, in the first quarter, they were definitely juiced up and they looked more engaged in the Nets, but it's not like they played their best game of basketball and probably even the winning streak they're on right now. So it's just like that's what I think is more frustrating. And like you said, Jack, it's like if James Harden isn't playing well – it's typically pretty difficult for the Nets to be, you know, even an average to a good team just because of how much he means to the offense and kind of like initiating and creating rhythm and flow to the team. And like we've discussed in a lot of recaps, the Nets don't necessarily have that backup ball handler. There's no backup point guard. There's no Spencer Dimity coming off the bench.
2: Yeah, there's not even a Mike James, Nick. Um,
1: <laughs> I got but in, in, the name in, I mentioned.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw a few people. Uh, but, but in saying that, James Harden was the MVP contender for for the Nets last season. Kevin Durant was like the role player, and then it's just like James Harden gets injured, Kyrie Irving gets injured, and Kevin Durant becomes otherworldly MVP and beyond. You know, Kevin Durant in, in the postseason. Whereas James Harden was the most important and our best player during the regular season when he came over in January. And beyond that, he was in MVP contention. You know, it was Nicole Jokic, it was LeBron, it was Steph, it was him. And James Harden had a legitimate case to beat that. It's hard to know. I think a, we can hypothesize as much as we want about, you know, his conditioning, about the injury, about his offseason. You know, I think that there's a credible case that can be made that he thought Kyrie Irving was going to be back and he thought he could sort of be like an ancillary sort of piece like we saw against the Boston Celtics where he's getting, you know, 23-point triple-doubles and Kyrie Irving's putting up 30 and KD's putting up 35, whereas now that the responsibility is on him, he needs to step up. The Nets need him to step up. We are not going to win the championship, Kyrie Irving or not, unless James Harden is at back to 90% of himself. At the very least, you know, close to what we saw last season from the Brooklyn Nets. This version of as great as Kevin Durant has been, and he has been truly incredible, we aren't going to win the championship and we aren't even probably going to come out of the East with James Harden playing the way that he has been this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's been some bright spots and there has been good games and even great games from Harden, but the consistency is not there. And I think also some of it, too, is like defensively, you want to see him be better in there's situations where it kind of puts the nets between a rock and a hard place, especially if he's not playing well offensively and then defensively he's on the floor. There's just some issues with him switching and his on ball defense isn't great in different situations. So James Harden has to step it up i think that's a pretty obvious statement after today's game it's not like we're you know making any great predictions here he played terrible he knows he can play better we know he can play better the nets need him to play better like you said jack
2: yeah way 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 better there's a standard that he has and he has to live up to it that's what superstars do james Harden, if he's a true superstar if he wants to get paid like a true superstar If he wants to be MVP contenders, if he wants to get all the accolades that comes with it, he's got to produce it on the basketball court. No one cares what he's doing and what he's, you know, all the extravagant stuff that he does off the court and and all that sort of stuff. Like he's a a great personality and a great philanthropist and all these sort of things. We want you to be one of the best basketballers in the league. James Harden, for the past seven, eight years, has been one of the top five NBA players. Right now, I don't know what range I would put him in. 15, 20, it's hard to say because a lot of other people have stepped up. You know, you can make a credible argument that Devin Booker has overtaken him at least this season. Again, I'm just putting it into an argument of 20 games into this season. James Harden has taken a massive step back, whereas a lot of other players have stepped forward. He needs to get back to the level that he, he has shown for, for so long as a, an NBA player and as a Brooklyn net in his tenure uh, in, the, in BK because he needs it. We need it. The fans need it. The organization needs it. The team needs it. He's a leader. Show it on the court. Your actions speak more than, you know, everything that you say to the media.
1: Yeah, and I think it is interesting. Uh, Like, uh, even having a bad game, and I get it, he's a superstar in this team. Nash still played him 40 minutes. Like, I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Like, I thought this was, you know, I'm always like, Trying to be objective here, but I thought this was a pretty rough game from Steve Nash on multiple elements. Even right off the rip from the game plan, I felt like the Suns felt really comfortable attacking the Nets defense, especially going to drop in LaMarcus, and then they end up running a little switch in that second quarter. It works out. The Suns figure it out, and then by the time the third quarter starts, they attack LaMarcus Aldridge like it felt like a hundred straight possessions with either Devin Booker or Chris Paul, and that's just not a situation you could put LaMarcus Aldridge in. And then finally, they switch to small ball in the fourth quarter, and. They have some success but it just felt like Nash was taking way too long with some of these adjustments and the the Suns were ready to make the counters and then as soon as they did that it's like Nash almost was stuck on pause instead of being able to go boom boom boom
2: yeah and in saying that Nick you know James Harden uh, Matt Brooks put on his timeline is James Harden still working through a hamstring injury nah he says so there's no excuses there in terms of the hamstring anymore so it's just all purely basketball based but yeah on, on LA you know, you can have the the chicken memes, the I'm um, getting cooked memes, whatever it is. He may have scored 18. Was it 18 points? Let me take a quick look at that box yep, score. 18. 18 points, but he might have given up another 18 or 20 himself because Chris Paul, Devin Booker, every player and his son was attacking him relentlessly and had him on those Fred Flintstone skates. Not to say that this is nothing against Lamarcus Aldridge because it's the reason why he didn't play against the Golden State Warriors much because they would cook him and when he was out there. So it's a it's an interesting facsimile. You know the conundrum is that Lamarcus Aldridge is our best big right now. But he's also not going to be out there in key stretches of the game. You know, this is a game where you want Nicholas Claxton out there. He's still working his way back into to fit in healthy form. Paul Millsap wasn't, you know, great either. I'm not sure eight minutes whether he was given the, the stretch to really play out there. JaVale McGee was just a force on the boards. So the the net centers, while they you know we raved about them, and maybe you know in in a glowing fashion, that probably should have been a bit more objective and, and looked a little bit more from an, uh, an outsider's perspective. There's a lot of weaknesses to a lot of the guys that we have. You know, there might be Lamarcus Aldridge might be the best mid range shooter in the league other than Kevin Durant right now, but he's also when he's out there on an island on against the best teams who play this sort of basketball, the Suns play this sort of basketball, the Jazz play this sort of basketball, the Bucks play this sort of basketball. All the best teams are going to play the way the Golden Warriors certainly play this way. All the best teams will play switching-level basketball where they are, are attacking relentlessly mismatches. And when you have Le- Marcus Ordridge and James Harden out there at the same time, then it's not going to end well for the Nets defensively.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a it's a problem in the sense of like... There's always a plus and a minus for a lot of the bigs and Nets have. And I don't think any of it's LaMarcus Aldridge's fault. Like, he's not a switching big. He's never been a switching big. You can get away with a couple possessions like that. But trying to do it for an entire quarter and then, you know, understanding that they can attack him and take him to the rim, especially Devin Booker, one of, you know, the up-and-coming best scorers in the NBA. Like, I just don't get that. It happened once. Whatever. It's a mistake. But the Nets allowed it to happen like multiple times in a row. And that's where it's just like, what are we doing here? There has to be some type of adjustment, even on like the player level of understanding like, hey, we cannot switch this. Maybe we double team off the pick. Maybe we blitz. Maybe there's just different elements or maybe it just is a game where Marcus doesn't play. You know, you can try to find him spot minutes here and there. Like, honestly, I might have even tried to throw Blake out there in this one just to see what he could do, try to bring some different energy. Like he's a guy that does play hard. Sometimes a a charge can kind of, you know, turn some things around. So LaMarcus was kind of put into a bad position. I think this is an example of probably why, you know, you can't depend on LaMarcus playing big minutes in the playoffs, regardless, because there's just it's going to be extremely difficult to play drop coverage against anybody.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was the, the Sixers that was the game where it's just like, okay, we can probably get away against them, but against, you know, a Heat and, and a lot of other teams, it's just not going to happen. To provide, I guess, a, an analogy of some sort of, you know, a, a holiday analogy, Nick, it's like everyone loves stuffing. I mean, it always seems to be the, the number one side for everyone and, and his, his daughter and his son. I love it as well. I'm a big fan of stuffing, but you can only have so much of a good thing before, it's, before you are literally stuffed. And, yeah. like, the Nets were stuffed when they, you know, you keep eating that good, that good bready goodness and all the herbs and spices or whatever, but at the end of the day, you're going to get full, you're going to get sickly, and the Nets were just like that when Marcus Orchard was out there. Yeah, you get to eat it, it tastes nice, and you get a mid-range bucket here or there, but you throw it on the other end of the floor and you throw it on a Chris Paul or a Devin Booker on a switch, and you're going to get stuffed yourself. So it's, it's a real catch-22, and it's going to be interesting to see how the... How Steve Nash, you know, figures that stuff out, and and it's you know a lot of the time we've, we've we actually gave him credit for some of his coaching performances of late in terms of the proactivity, the rotations, you know, DeAndre Bembry, you know, inserting him and keeping him in the starters certainly has worked well, so that's a, a plus for him. But you know the the inability to just make the, the the moves when they do matter and and do it a little bit too late, you know, the Nets could have snuck away with a W here, and and that's saying something. Um, with you know Steve Nash, the impact that he could have had if he had, have, you know, gone with James Johnson a little bit later, and James Johnson wasn't amazing, you know, to to be fair either. Um, the, the Nets just don't have a, a Jeff Green or Nicholas Claxton right now, either. You know, they on other teams or they're working their way back from injury. So it's it's a it's a conundrum, Nick. It really is.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: And I think uh, this is an example of Steve Nash putting himself in a bad position before the game even starts. You're putting Kevin Durant on Devin Booker. And Kevin Durant has, you know, obviously been great and his on-ball defense is good. One area he's not good is getting over screens. Like he's a big guy. He's a seven-footer out there. So, and he's in a situation like that, he's probably gonna have to switch or he's gonna be late recovering and not provide some other uh, problems for the defense. And I think that's like right off rip where you saw there being an issue. It's like now you're asking KD to run around, get around all these screens and just deal with all these things. And I just felt like going to the game it was almost easy for Monty Williams and the Suns to be like, yo, this is a game plan. This is what we're going to do. And then, like, based off of how the Nets played their defense in this drop coverage, like, they felt really comfortable in attacking that, either getting the switch or getting a good good pull-up shot, or if not, if there was help there, they had a guy waiting in the corner because they're a well-balanced team. There's a lot of good three-point shooters here. So it's just like before the game even started, from an X's and O's perspective, there was a lot of issues in this one.
2: Yeah, the Suns just have so many good matchups against the Nets. It's just, you know, if they come up they against them, They force you in... to
1: play small, and that's why the Nets played them really well in Barclays last year, and that was without Harden. I think it was just Kyrie and KD in that game.
2: Yeah, and I mean, look, you know, it was James Harden doing his solo thing, you know, with Jeff Green as and a short role yep. against yeah DeAndre Ayton as well. So... Look, we don't have Jeff Green anymore. We got, we can't really cry over spilt milk. But no, harking back to James Harden because there's some decent quotes that I, I wanted to allude to. Shout out to AJ Brown of uh, USA Today. I'm trying to figure out when to score, when to play and make, when to do everything. It's been difficult. I think that quote puts into perspective what we sort of alluded to about the mental capacity that he has right now, or overthinking the game, where it's just like he's just like okay. I'm going to like allow you to sleep and hit you with a step back three. I'm going to allow you to sleep and then drive on your ass. I'm going to allow you to sleep, drive it and kick out the Patty Mills or what, or whoever else it might be. He's just overthinking the game. And it's just taking that mental lag that he's got right now is affecting him. And it affects the team because he has the ball in his hand So goddamn much where it's just like, if he had a, again, I probably do it far too often where I shout out Patty Mills, but if you had a Patty Mills mentality, and it's obviously a lot easier for Patty Mills because a lot of his role right now is to just instinctually run, shoot, just do things that are just crazy. If he has just the mentality that we know he's had before, a Patty Mills mentality or a KD mentality, which is like be natural, be instinctive, be aggressive. You know, th- those are, I guess, just buzzwords and such, but I think some of those buzzwords, to for lack of a, a better term, and I'm not really just doing it because of the name of our podcast, it literally would translate to him playing better basketball, getting out of his head. You know, basketball and so many different pastimes are, are a mental are a mental thing. You know, they always said it's 90% mental and it's 10% physical. Um, the mental capacity that James Harden has right now, you know, you're talking about, you know, an incredible assist that he had to DeAndre Bembry tonight in the first quarter. That was a, an awesome bounce pass. Some of his bounce passes tonight were reminiscent of some of those that he had to Jeff Green and KD and Bruce Brown, you know, in seasons past. But those weren't balanced enough with, you know, scoring moments because he's proven to be one of the best scorers. Yes, obviously, he relies on, you know, the, getting to the, to the free throw line for that. But, you know, he is not there mentally. And that is proven by not what we've just said, but also by James Harden himself.
1: Yeah, and I think some of that, too, is obviously kind of getting back in rhythm, not playing a ton of basketball over the summer. But I think the biggest issue is that there is a ton of pressure on James Harden to create an advantage for the. The offense in a lot of situations to create, you know, ball penetration and, you know, kind of initiate things. And a lot of that is due to the absence of a Kyrie Irving. Like he's a guy that would have the ball in his hands a decent amount and be creating things and taking attention from the defense and whatever it might be and just make life easier for a lot of players on the floor. And I think now you've seen the pressure added to James Harden. Maybe he wasn't anticipating that. And coming off a rough summer in terms of recovering from injury and not playing a lot of basketball, he's just not in that groove. And obviously, Kevin. Durant's playing at the highest level possibly of his career so it wasn't that much harder for him to kind of take on a bigger load where James Harden was in a situation where he almost needed to have a small load so he can kind of get back into things and now given the whole Kyrie situation it made that more difficult and I'm not making excuses for Harden but I'm just trying to kind of understand what's going on with him a little bit more and I think that makes sense to me.
2: No but look uh, I appreciate the forthright honesty. You know, I think that a lot of other, and I think, you know, some other people on different podcasts and different platforms have said that, you know, James Harden is normally a, a bit more defensive when he gets caught out yep. about his form and such. And he's, you know, he's normally not as conciliatory and, you know, as 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 honest and, and, and without sort of, you know, and in terms of what he says. So is that mentality change or the the lack of sort of defensive nature that he has? You know, an indicator of you know him being in a in a bad headspace. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to be an armchair psychologist about it, but I'm going to judge him by what he says and by what he produces on the basketball court and by what he said. He's still trying to figure out how to play within this net scheme and how to play within the referees and how to balance, you know, all of that. Whereas in seasons past, you know, he hasn't had to really actually admit that he's just done it in a in a way where it's just like. Cool. I'll throw some dimes here. I'll get a 30 point triple double. I'll get a 40 point triple double. I'll get 60 points here. I'll get 10 three pointers and, and five made here. I'll get to the free throw line 10 times. It just seems to me that he is just, uh, he's in a funk uh, yeah. and the, the, the funk needs to uh, be gotten, be gone really, really soon. And, and you know, I, I have. Better
1: now than, though, than, you know, March or April or something like that. I'd rather see him struggle and then figure it out, hopefully, than, you know, be stuck going to the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to write him off. You know, I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm. While I, definitely- I might. But no, I think it's it's a little bit rash to write him off. And and maybe you know, given what we've seen, and and if we do continue to see this in, in April and March, maybe we should have. But again, we're not at that point in time yet. There is still time. In the season. There are 62 games left and hopefully a, a long postseason run. Who knows what could happen then? when you know he gets a a room rolling, Nicholas Claxton going again, they get their chemistry going again. Kyrie Irving happens to come back, you know, and, and sees a little bit of responsibility in terms of ball handling and shot creation abilities. There's so many different universes and so many different outcomes that could help increase James Harden in terms of what happens, you know, behind the scenes, but ultimately. There is, There are so many games and so many outcomes previously that it's just like, James, you're good enough to lead a team by yourself. You're good enough to just not think about it and just, just do your thing, man. Just like be aggressive and just have like, whether it's keywords written down on your hands or get a new tattoo or just tattoo it on your brain. Be aggressive, score, score, score. I think he needs to score his mentality more than a passers mentality. I think that from his scoring, his passing should come from that. You know, a lot of the times where we saw, where we've seen him drive and then kick out. You know, that's where your know, Cam Thomas can attack up a drive and get a little bit of a floater. That's where Bembry can make some nice cuts here or there, or Paddy Mills can be out there on the perimeter for him, or Lamarcus Aldridge can move himself into the spots in the mid range. So. I think that maybe that's where him and Lamarcus Aldridge obviously aren't the greatest fit because Lamarcus Aldridge is a stationary big. You know, he's going to fix himself in the three-point line and maybe move himself to 16 to 18 feet and get some offensive boards here or there. But because he doesn't have a guy that's, you know, a JaVale McGee, a Clint Capella, a Nicholas Claxton, it sort of limits you know, the, the ability for James Harden to do what he does best in terms of, you know, driving to the basket, you know, with purpose and such and, and have a guy that he can, you know, throw that dump-off pass to. Yeah, he's got his, when his floater is always really, really strong, he always disguises it as a lob half the time, yeah. so uh, it's it's weird because we haven't seen a lot of that this season at all. His floater has been really really off, and like I said, he had, he had an air ball on a floater tonight, so uh, he's he's not in it. And and maybe we should stop speaking about it. And, and but I think it's it's worth analyzing, and also it's also worth in a couple of games time totally eating crow and totally eating my own words. I'll be happily. Happily, happy, happy to do that if that happens to be the case. But at this point in time, I think it requires the depth of analysis because it's a reason why the the record that the Nets do have might be a little bit flattering. And when you look at the form of the their most important players and the form of the team overall and their, you know, clunky offense, I think that the analysis into James Harden is worth a, a true deep dive.
1: Yeah, I agree, Jack. I mean, obviously, he's a big part of this team. He's, a, a, you know, may be the most important piece of the offense in terms of, like, the regular season and making things go. And you said a point of, like, he needs to score more. I think too many times to start games, he's looking to be a passer rather than a scorer. And I know typically that's what you do. You want to get the role players involved. But I think, like, to throw you know, more of a balance in there. I think it'd make more sense for him to be a scorer early on and then look to pass later as the defenses are coming in because I think teams are also applying him differently. They're not really respecting him as James Harden the score. They're looking at him more as a passer. They're cutting off passing lanes. And a lot of these passing lanes that were always there for him just aren't there because they're like, nah, man, you're taking, you know, 15 shots or 10 shots a game rather than like 20 or just being that dominant, sc- dominant scorer. We know that you were in the past. You're just not showcasing that. So until he does that, like you said, Defenses aren't going to play him that way because he just needs to be better.
2: No, he does. He needs to be better. But a guy who can't be much better, Nick, there we go. Nice little segue, uh, is Kevin Durant. Now, man, what a game from him. 4 of 7 from 3, 9 of 11 from the free throw line, 13 of, eight, 13 of 28, sorry, from the field for 39 points, 7 assists, 4 steals, a block, 5 turnovers, 9 rebounds. I mean, Kevin Durant did everything that he could to lead this team back uh, to uh, an, um, an improbable comeback win.
1: Yeah, and he played 45 minutes in this one, which I didn't really like very much. But we can talk about the, the talk about the actual game. I think you know, KD turned it up, and there was a point where he just was like looking at the score. He's like, "All right, if I hit this, I hit this. We can kind of get back in the game." And he really gave them an opportunity to steal the game at the end. You know, there was a couple of shots that he probably wish he knocked down. A couple maybe Patty Mills wish he knocked down. A couple less turnovers, and next thing you know, the net snapped the Suns' streak, and it would have been a lot of because of Kevin Durant and DeAndre Bembry. But overall, you know, KD was good. There's a a couple shots in the first half first quarter first half where I was just like probably not your best shots and I think the Suns were extending a little bit more attention towards him than a lot of teams have and that's also the reason that Benbury ended up with like five wide open layups in this game so you know you you give you you give some you take some whatever it is KD ended up having another good game and in a situation that it wasn't easy for him to do especially with James Harden not taking any of the load off of him
2: yeah, the Suns have crowded, they've got bridges, both of those guys. And I think what you pointed out, too, with James Harden, you know, they're playing off his pass, they're playing off you know, him, and just yep. realizing, well, look, They the gave Nets him a are, couple
1: wide-open threes, James Harden, at the top of the key, yep. and he didn't take them.
2: Yep, and the Nets are especially you know, overly reliant on Kevin Durant in terms of their offense right now. You know, he's putting up these, you know, he's the second leading scorer in the NBA behind Stephen Curry, and they still aren't winning games, or they're winning games against lesser teams, or, you know, they're not really... I think that we know how good Kevin Durant is. I think the rest of the team, and James Harden especially, obviously, needs to figure out the things around him. You know, Kevin Durant has proven before, whether it's in Golden State or even last season, during the regular season, that he can be one of the best, most... one of the most dominant ancillary pieces in an offense and to a team going around... He's a he's a, a break door in, in case of or break glass in case of an emergency sort of cheat code that you can have up your sleeve. And look, I, I, there were still some incredible moments from him. Like I loved, absolutely loved the three that he's got in Kevin, uh, sorry Devon Booker's face, and talked a bit of trash to him. You know, going down the other side of the floor. You know, there's level to this. Devin Booker was good early. Uh, he was getting some you know pretty lucky calls and you know, complaining about some some bullshit uh, to be honest. And the
1: Nets made his life a little too easy too.
2: They did, they did, and look, and going down the stretch of the game, you know, he was he was put off the floor because he was giving away some dumb, you know, tiki taki fouls. You know, and it came that uh, it came to that point. So, look, Kevin Durant was incredible. Uh, this still wasn't maybe like his best game that we've seen from him yet, but to put up, you know, a near thirty nine point triple double, have four steals, a block as well. I thought that it was pretty good defensively uh, on that in the floor. I thought that you know there was some some key clutch steals. Um, yeah. But then again, you know, a, a few turnovers here or there. Some of them came from double. Some of them were just a, a little bit careless. But you know, he did everything that he could. This was sort of just like Milwaukee Bucks posters in Kevin It's Like, all right, Steve, you're going to still let me go out there, my guy. I'm I'm going to play. I, I think that he basically played most of that second half. And you know, someone
1: fought- said that he played he played the entire second half and played the last 33 minutes of the game
2: because he finished the second
1: quarter too which is just a little too much for my liking in a game that really doesn't matter like I get it it would have been nicer than that to have the comeback but at the end of the day I think you're probably taking a little bit of a risk just playing Kevin Durant that much I think there's certain situations where I prefer KD off ball not because he's a bad defender, but I think his off ball impact sometimes is greater. Like you mentioned a couple of those steals with the help defense. He's also one of the few nets that's capable of helping and still getting back to his man for a contest. We saw that one play where he was helping and he came back in the contest on Mikel Bridges and blocked it from behind. That was an incredible block. So like, I think just trying to find ways to maximize him and he's also the, probably the most intelligent defender on the Nets in terms of like being able to understand like, all right, well, Patty Mills has DeAndre a and I need to run over there and switch and we need to, you know, s- you know make things work a little bit better. So finding a way to utilize KD defensively a little bit more probably would make sense. And I think the matchup on Devin Booker wasn't ideal, but I get it given some of the limitations of what they have in that starting lineup, especially LaMarcus Aldridge and James Harden.
2: No, definitely. And and I think that we've sort of heard from James Harden and from DeAndre Bembry, a lot of these guys talking about you know, the level of communication and the general introverted nature of this team. Yeah. I think that we need to start seeing some some people being like, all right, that was shit. Like, we need, we need, like, a what we got from Jeff Green last year when the Nets, you know, had that really poor loss to Detroit, where it's just like, we were awful defensively. And if we don't get better, then we're not going to be a good team. You know, who is that behind the scenes right now? You know, I'm, I think DeAndre Vermeer's doing a little bit, you know, is it going to be a James Johnson? Is it going to be a LaMarcus Aldridge or whatever? Uh, I think that... You know, the Nets are 49-6. They're still one of the best teams in the East and one of the best teams in the league. But I honestly do think that the record does flatter them. They've played... You can look at it from two sides of things. You know, what are you seeing on the court and, and, and what do you, what does the record say? And you marry both of them up. I think that the Nets are still one of the eight or best teams in the league right now, just purely because of the talent that they do have and the way that Kevin Durant is playing. But I do think that there are some, some trends where it's just like... Man, I don't think that they're as uh, they're as bona fide a championship contender as we might have thought that they could be. And we've we've chatted about a, a lot of those indicators already on this podcast. We don't need to really dive any deeper, but I mean, you you, know, I saw this look-
1: too, Jack, just to look at the, uh, the glass half full. It's like I don't think they're far from maximizing a lot of players on their roster. And I think Steve Nash still has a lot more of tinkering to do. And I think also like game planning more so for like playoff esque Situations make sense. And I think that is somewhat the Lamarcus Aldridge conundrum is a sense of like, yeah, he'll be good in the regular season, but is this a guy that we can rely on in the postseason? Is this a style we want to kind of get into throughout the year and then have to try to change our habits during, you know, the postseason? That's where I think it gets really interesting. And that's where it's like, okay, this is where Steve Nash's job is a little bit more difficult than it seems from the outside.
2: He actually has to coach. He's paid to coach, not paid to be. You know, a collaborator, you're paid to coach. You get paid the big bucks, you know, and make some decisions, my uh, my guy. I'm not gonna call him Stephen, but <laughs> Steve with a lowercase N rather than an uppercase <laughs> N. But Lamar's um, Lamarcus Aldridge tonight, Nick, we sort of chatted about him. 18 end points, I had 12 from the field, oh one for three, had two free throws that he hit both of them. I also had six boards, but yeah, I think that we don't really need to dive any deeper into it, but Uh, To balance out, I guess, the the sort of analysis from him, he's still just such an incredible mid-range shooter.
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels like he really, truly doesn't miss from mid-range. There was a point where it was like three or four straight possessions. It was like he was getting cooked on one end and he was just kind of pick and popping on the other end. So, like I said, it's going to be a tough situation with Aldridge until the Nets can find a way to maximize him defensively. It's not like he doesn't do anything good on defense, it's just that... Playing drop coverage, like we've talked about a lot, puts a lot of pressure on the ball handler to get over the screen and not get clipped. Because as soon as they get clipped, then all of a sudden you get forced into a switch or you give up a wide open, you know, three-point shot or pull-up mid-ranger. And against a team with great guards, that's going to be a problem. And there's plenty of playoff teams that have great guards.
2: A lot of them. Some of the best teams in the league have them. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on that. But Nick, Patty Mills tonight, what how would you surmise his performance? Because if you give it to me, then I'll probably go in on some people who I thought were a little bit harsh on him, you know, missing some threes at certain stages of the game.
1: Yeah. I mean, Patty Mills is who he is. Like, he's not a guy that's going to go out there and just scorch in terms of like create a ton of offense for himself. Like, if James Harden's having a bad game and the Nets aren't doing great from like a, a passing perspective and the ball's not moving well, Patty Mills isn't going to get a ton of open threes. And also, like I mentioned early on, the Suns had a pretty good game plan. They were going to try to eliminate the Nets' better three-point shooters and give wide-open looks to Bembry or guys under the paint or just not guard them. And I think Patty Mills was part of their game plan. And like I said, he wasn't getting open looks. Yeah, he missed two open threes in the end of the game. but. He's shooting an incredible percentage. It's still, I think, what, the best in the league right now. So it's not like he played miserably and he was the worst player on the court. It's just like if the offense isn't cooking, it's going to be hard for Patty to cook.
2: Still had three from seven from the three-point line, Nick. Nine points, two assists, three boards. And I think that the volume is the thing that I think that the Suns did a really good job of. The Nets only took 23 threes tonight and only hit seven of them. And was like an early
1: 2000 game or something. It's just crazy for the Nets.
2: Literally, and all seven threes were, were through Patty Mills and Kevin Durant. Everyone else did not hit a three. Paul Mosef didn't hit a three from the one that he took. Lamarcus didn't hit one. James Harden missed all six of the ones that he took. Cam Thomas missed the one that he took, um, and he probably should have hit another, tried to take another one um, in the time that he had on the floor too. So it, the Nets are the best three-point shooting team in the league, but I think they're one of the lower teams when it comes to three-point oh, volume yeah. as well. So... Uh, I think that because, you know, obviously the absence of Joe Harris doesn't necessarily help things either, but, you know, Paddy Mills has been so incredible from there, and I think to die, to throw, you know, the fact that he missed a, a couple of threes down the stretch, uh, the reason why the Nets lost, um, I'll, I've already oh, been sorry. at, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly, if uh, people do continue to call him out, uh, I'll start blocking people on the timeline, because that's just truly foolish and stupid behaviour uh, to throw it at paddy Mills given that it, I, I, some of the threes that he did hit you know were super important and timely as I've said time and time again you know it 42% seems like the,
1: from three is in pad so
2: it's it's incredible it's great it's elite. so uh, to, to anyone that will besmirch uh, my native brethren, come at me Jack Manuel on Twitter.
1: Yeah, I think more so in this game, this would be like more so like if you're Patty Mills, is how you're having a hard time generating looks for him. Maybe don't play him as many minutes, but at the end of the day, he's still providing that space. And I think this is more so a matchup where maybe you ideally like to have Patty Mills and Joe Harris because now that double attention that you're setting to Kevin Durant or even James Harden, you know, shutting down his driving lanes or whatever it might be, it's not there because you have two guys that are spacing the floor. Like I said, I thought the Suns did a pretty good job of eliminating Patty from this game and just making it more difficult. And he's typically a guy that, I'll hit those threes off like one or two passes. Once Sometimes it'll be off one pass, but it's usually like when the ball's moving around the perimeter or like, you know, someone's going to kind of set him up. And there just wasn't really a lot of that today. There wasn't many advantages for the offense, given there wasn't much, you know, dribble penet- penetration from James Harden.
2: Yeah, I think that there was one play in the first quarter where there was some actually nice ball movement, And the Nets still had, I think, 25 assists. And, and I think um, James
1: Harden was off the floor.
2: Yeah, so look, <laughs> look, we're not saying that it's a product of, of what's happening there, but and he also had a really, in that third quarter, a really savvy sort of typical Patty Steele, you know, out of nowhere, you know, sort of pickpocket the guy, you know, SpongeBob, you know, Patrick style on SpongeBob, where it's just like, damn, oh, he had like that one on Bradley Beal in the year as well, and that led to a Kevin Durant bucket. So yeah. you know, he's still doing those little things, the sort of blue-collar boy uh, sort of stuff, or the BCB sort of stuff that he does. Um, and, you know, there was you know, some second chance opportunities that led to some some Patty Mills threes, which always give you a little bit of extra juice. So some of the threes that he does hit feel like they're worth three or four point, three and a half or four points because they just give. And the crowd was popping. The crowd was looking for a reason to, to really get up and going. I think it was one of the highest, you know, uh, crowds that the, the Barclays Center has ever seen for a Nets game. So yeah, they
1: said it was the a, biggest crowd ever at Barclays Center for a Nets game. I think it was 18 they, something.
2: There you go. And and you know, in one occasion they're booing James Harden, and in the next occasion they're they're chanting out M V P for Kevin Durant and, and losing their shit to a, a big Patty Mills three. Um and and some stretches where the Nets you know, they were just itching for something to cheer for. Um and, you know, shout out to all the fans that were at the place and I um hopefully I can get there sooner rather than later. But, Nick, DeAndre Bembry.
1: One note before bit. we get to Bembry, Jack. I think also, like, when you have fans and, like, they're ready to pop, this is where the Nets lack some of that athletic pop on their team. Like, nothing gets crowds going like dunks. Like, dunks are just always the thing that excite people. And right Benbury, now – yeah, yeah, Benbury had one, and this is where you kind of mix, like, a Nick Claxton, just like somebody who can throw down an oop or something like that to create some, like, spark or even a Kyrie Irving, you know, ball handling behind the back, you know, fadeaway three, whatever it is. Like, they're missing some of these highlight cr- plays to really get the crowd into it, but on to DeAndre Bembry, who was great, and one of the big reasons the Nets got back into this game, and one of the only Nets to truly play really well tonight, 18 points, 9 of 11 from the field, 9 rebounds, 1 assist, 2 steals, 0 turnovers. And, you know, he was just putting clamps on multiple players in the Suns when he had the opportunity.
2: He was freaking awesome. It was so goddamn great. His cutting was amazing. You know, he was just like, okay, you're going to give me this open lane? Well, I'm going to dunk it or finish it with the layup. And, you know, he had some, you know, around the basket finishes where it's just like he's not afraid to miss them. And I and I respect that. I respect a guy who's just willing to just go, you know what, I'm going to get to the basket and I'll figure it out when I'm there. And he's got a he's got a little bit of a bag there. You know, it's not the deepest bag, bag. Yeah, he's got a bag. You know, it's not the biggest backpack. It's not a Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving bag, but you know, it's solid, it's sturdy. You can fit a few school books in there, there's no doubt about it. But you know, his defense has been, you know, tenacious. You know, he's his level of aggression, you know, two steals for him tonight. It feels like he had you know 20 of them and was a big reason. And you know, we we heard him say to to the Nets brass and the Nets media before the game, you know, he was getting on James Harden about being a bit more engaged defensively. and I think James Harden actually had some defensive moments tonight. You know, when he was isolated on Devin Booker, he had a couple of blocks, as we alluded to, and a steal. You know, I think DeAndre Bembry has been truly, truly great for this team. And you know, I think I remember seeing somewhere someone put on the timeline that his contract isn't even guaranteed until um, yeah. mid-January. So you can you can bet that that contract will definitely be guaranteed because the way that he's playing as a as a role player within the net system on both ends of the floor. You know, he's getting, he was leading the Nets scoring in that first quarter for a lot of, uh, you know, moments where it's just like, okay, well, I'm going to get out in transition, try and get us some easy buckets, try and increase the pace of the team and and, and try and, you know, force the the defense to make decisions because there's times where the Nets offense just allows the, the, the opposing defense to just be stationary. And sort of just crowd in a little bit away from their player, whereas if there's some not some not just ball movement but also play movement, like we see from Patty Mills, like we see from DeAndre Bembry, like we see from Joe Harris, like we see from Bruce Brown, that's when it's just like okay, well then let's fizz this thing around, let's get some San Antonio Golden State style basketball going, and get a good shot into a great shot. So uh, DeAndre Bembry has been you know a really big part of that, and uh, this was one of his best games you know that I can ever remember seeing him playing. Uh, in his time within the NBA, and the fact that he didn't have 35 minutes and the responsibility that he, he has had in the absence of Bruce Brown, he was back tonight, had a few minutes here or there, nothing really to totally analyze. But John Bembry, uh, there aren't, aren't enough good things that can be said about him, Nick, and uh, you better start making those T-shirts because I think they're going to sell like hotcakes on T-Public.
1: There was a possession in the fourth quarter when the Nets were making their comeback where he went you know, he was fighting through the same screen about 27 times and it just felt like it was almost impossible for DeAndre Ayton to create space for Devin Booker in that situation. And like you said, Jack, he just, he does a lot of good things. He's just like kind of that ideal role player. If he could just shoot threes, I think he would be a guy making a lot of money in the NBA right now. And it's interesting that he still got to start with Bruce being back. Obviously Bruce, a little rusty and not looking himself, but Part of me thinks sometimes that Benbury fits better in certain situations with this Nets team and with these starters. And I think offensively at times, he provides like a little bit of something they're missing with that rim rim pressure. You know, they they just don't get that from Bruce Brown. Like he doesn't really attack the rim. It's a lot of floater stuff where Benbury goes straight to the rim in a lot of situations. I think he has a little bit more athletic pop as well.
2: Yeah, it's finesse versus power. You know, yeah in, in a lot of ways and DeAndre Benbury has a full finesse versus force you know it would have been better with the alliteration but you know I, I got there um, but in in saying that there was like a, a defensive possession I think it was in the fourth quarter where you know the shot clock expired because of De, DeAndre benbury's like tenacious defense of yeah. Devin Booker which led to like an, an airball three from Mikhail bridges and it's just like I think that the new iteration and the new interpretation of the rules is the reason why we're seeing, you know, Bruce Brown be such, you know, an important defender in terms of the defensive metrics and John D. Brembury, you know, both of those guys are elite on defensive metrics that have been put out there by a lot of other different platforms. Um and I think that's the reason why that even without the three ball, Nick, he can continue to be, you know, such an incredible weapon. You know, he's like a, a sort of Tony Allen-ish type in in terms of what he provides for the next. You know, he's not one of the best. You know, guard defenders that we've ever seen, like Tony Allen, is but what the importance that he has for the Nets side. That it's certainly as great.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, there's no no surprise that he's playing. You know, his best basketball offensively when he's surrounded by four other good offensive players, like Patty Mills, Lamarcus Aldridge, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. Like their floor spacing and allows him to kind of roam and just get these easy opportunities. Like I said, with his son's game plan, they weren't really giving him much respect. He capitalized on that. You know, CP3 lost him. It felt like two or three times just in the first quarter alone for easy dunk. So, you know, play within your game, and he does that. And I think that's why he pops the fan, and also just, like, the the effort and energy he plays with. Like, if we could get James Harden to play with that, you know, we'd be talking about an MVP-level player. So it's just it's really fun to watch and really great to see, and it's just, like, another added wrinkle to this team.
2: Shout-out to the Ben Benberg Brigade.
1: I like that. I like that. And also, just like he also provides transition pop for this team, not always the best player in transition, but somebody who's always willing to run the floor. And I think that that pop a little bit more when Kyrie Irving's possibly back in the future, like in a running mate for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, he said that he sort of had a bit of a chat to Kyrie Irving, a little bit about, you know, I, th- I think he said, like, you know, he'll, they'll, he'll figure his stuff out and whatever. It's not not something... That I think is totally worth analyzing, even though I think a lot about, let's put out some articles in relation to it. I think it was just more taking some quotes and seeing if they can get 600, 700 words out of it. I think that a lot of the times that you mentioned, Nick, about you know the transition offense, he creates the transition offense yeah. for himself. You know, He just gets a steal and says, all right, I'll get a layup here. Why not? Uh, and if not even we'll
1: semi-transition too. He'll get the ball from a hardened leak out and then just kind of drive to the rim.
2: Yep. So, yeah, February Brigade is alive and strong, no doubt about it
1: stock is up right now but uh we mentioned paul Millsap. eight minutes in this one it's not necessarily the best matchup for him going against javel mcgee he still doesn't look like he's fully in like rhythm or basketball shape there's like a couple possessions where you're just like man if you're supposed to be like this switching big on this team i'm not sure you can be that guy anymore he might have lost a step obviously it's hard to really gauge Millsap because the sample size has been so small for him this season
2: yeah, I think that you sort of look to James Johnson, Nick, and and maybe that's where the best comparison on this team could sort of happen, where it's just like we were writing off James Johnson, and rightly so, based off the evidence that we did see. You know, he got, you know, spurring inconsistent minutes here and there. It's just like, man, what is he really doing out there? Then he sort of pops a little bit off after the Golden State game and maintains a little bit of, a little bit of momentum. A little bit of momentum since yeah. then wasn't amazing tonight, but that's where it's just like, okay, well, James Johnson's getting 20 plus minutes here or there. Again, Javale McGee's his athleticism, his verticality is just not good at all for a team that for a guy like Paul Millsap who's you know age 37 now. But maybe against a New York Knicks team who've got you know Nerlens Noel, Mitchell Robertson, Taj Gibson, maybe that's a better matchup for him if you align the minutes uh, in a in a productive and, and efficient fashion. So look, I don't think there's much more that we can really say about Paul Millsap.
1: Yeah, I, like I said, the sample size I think is just too small and like his role is just kind of confusing at times because he was playing power forward, then they play him back at center, and now he's playing with James Johnson. Should he play without him? But I guess like getting to James Johnson, like he looks like the potential player to unlock some more small ball lineups. So I thought there was a couple possessions he could have been better in this game, but overall not a bad game from James Johnson.
2: Yeah, his finishing was pretty poor tonight. Yeah. I think that's where it's just like his offensive prowess is – inconsistence and uh, I think just that random noise that I just made is the best way to sort of <laughs> sum it up. You know, he's yeah. he'll hit a three pointer once every four games, like a DeAndre Bembry can. Um, he was really good on the on the glass, and he and he continues to be good there. But you know, some of the finishing off the putbacks were just like really, and then, and some of them led to turnovers um, and, and such as well. So I, I still think that you know during that stretch, you know where we had. him playing small ball five and and it was sort of him and Kevin Durant and switching everything at the four and five position. That's where the Knicks were able to go on some mini runs and and able to get back into it. But, you know, he's played some good basketball alongside LaMarcus Aldridge too. Uh, So it's, he's still, I think, uh, a decent enough player, but is he good enough when the moments matter, I think that that's where you need to start thinking about this team. You sort of alluded to it with Paul Millsap, which had about with the Marcus Aldridge. We obviously spoken about James Harden against better teams. The, there are much higher, higher goals and higher priorities for a Brooklyn Nets team uh, with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving still on this roster. It's championship or bust. And you know, Kevin Durant forty-five minutes is that the right decision? No, but I think Kevin Durant's the one that probably led that decision to Steve Nash. Uh, like and two days did. off couple of days off, rest a little bit and, you know, hang out with his boy, Rich, for his birthday. Uh, see if he can see Taylor Rooks, see what sort of um, adult activities they can have together. Um, stuff that you might enjoy and partake in yourself, Nicholas, over the holiday season. But in saying that, uh, James Johnson, I, I'm still impressed by what he's done. Because he was plus 14 on the night. And I think he was, yeah, he was the only Brooklyn Net that was, sorry, the second Brooklyn Net to be positive in the plus-minus with DeAndre Pembrey. I think that we saw that. We saw that when he was on the floor, the Nets played good basketball just by his presence alone. He took a little bit away offensively, but it's just, look, regular season matchups. I don't mind James Johnson out there. I'm not as confident as a Jeff Green of last season, but he can do maybe a little bit more with the physicality and the rebounding than Jeff can. But offensively in terms of creating his own shot and creating Three balls and and all the rest, that's where Jeff has has him absolutely covered. And this Nets team should be an offensive dynamo, uh, and having James Johnson out there does take a little bit away from that identity.
1: I think the problem is, is that they're forced to play him with Bembry, or another non-shooter, you know what I mean? It's okay when you have one non-shooter on the floor. It's when you start to play two non-shooters that it just becomes so much easier for the defense to kind of shut things down. And like, they'll just be possessions where Bembry and Johnson are on the same side and there's one guy defending both of them off ball. And that's where I think you get into a sticky situation. So I think uh, James Johnson has the potential to unlock some nice small ball stuff with the Nets. I think it's just trying to find a balance of offense and defense with a lot of these different lineups and they haven't really nailed that yet. Uh, we got a little more Cam Thomas tonight, stayed in the rotation, even with Bruce Brown being back, played 12 minutes. I don't think it was a bad game, don't think it was a good game, just kind of almost, I don't want to say filler minutes because there were a, a couple good plays and a couple of bad plays, but overall, not any hard takeaways on Cam from tonight.
2: No, and the flow that he took off the Paddy Mills pass was super smooth and, and super fluid. Um, that just showed a level of... You know his three-level scoring that is super productive and he obviously gets to the free throw line continually obviously only hit one of them uh, but in saying that you know the when the nets were going were getting cooked defensively it was because he was out there alongside the Aldridge at times and the nets were looking for a spark to increase their offense to try and come back um and also those lineups took away a lot defensively so yeah, I think that Cam was was fine tonight. You know, um, it, it wasn't, you know, the games and the elation that we had in, in previous performances. But I still think that he's proved that he can be a more important rotation player than a, a Javon Carter.
1: Yeah, I think the problem with him defensively is like he's OK against like average to mediocre players. It's like when he gets matched up on a Devin Booker. That's when he's just going to get beat. You know, Booker looked really comfortable attacking him. And that's no surprise. He's a rookie. And it's not like he was a touted defensive player. So trying to like almost hide him defensively is going to be something the Nets need to try to do until he kind of develops further on that end. And not to say that he's terrible defensively, because like I said in the previous show, he's better than anticipated. But he's not ready for some of the bigger matchups against some of the better players.
2: I still think prioritizing offense is, is the right way to go with this Nets team because I think that they've figured out their defensive identity. You know, we, we sort of know what they are and they've, they've sort of got you know tenacious perimeter defenders and, you know, their switching will work sometimes. I kind of think work.
1: they do, but at the same time, I'm not sure if they really do know because against the good teams, they can't play the same defense.
2: Now that's that's fair. That's a fair summation. But I think that the more important part of the Nets informing their identity and being as dominant as we think and hope they can be is figuring out that offense. And I think that, that, that is a far, far, there's a, a ways, a ways away uh, from getting that sorted out. So I think that prioritizing that and see if you can get, like, you know, a Cam Thomas out there or whoever else it might be, um, you know, that's where you sort of want to f- figure some things out. And, you know, in, in terms of Blake Griffin, you know, making him a non-three-point shooter, not just a role-playing three-point shooter, but a guy who can shoot, uh, make decisions off the roll and utilizing his passing and utilising some of his smarts and awareness. Um, that's where maybe you throw play Griffin out there in some matchups. And You know, the, the communication seems to be similar to what we heard from Bruce Brown at the start of the year. But, yeah, other than that, Nick, you know, somehow we always find a way to really dive deep. Whenever I'm on, on the weekends, always like chatting a, a bit of depth with the Nets basketball, but hopefully in a couple of days' time we get back on the winner's list. And more importantly, play some quality basketball and get the identity going. And James Harden plays like the James Harden that we know and love
1: a hundred percent. And just on the cam Thomas point that you made Jack, and I think cam has the potential to unlock some offensive stuff. And like we've talked about is like the nets are going to win a championship. It's not going to be because they're a number one defense. It's going to be because they're a top three offense and they need to find a way to get that and try to find that balance. And maybe that is giving up more defensively and trying to unlock more offensively and just really double down and trying to get things going. But the real issue for the offense too, is like it's hard to gauge like how much of the problem is just James Harden not being himself. And we could jump into that probably for another hour. Like you said, I think there's still more adjustments and more tinkering to do with this roster. And maybe that means a trade, a signing, whatever it is, or Steve Nash, you know, making a drastic change. Or maybe it's just simply Kyrie Irving coming back to this team. Who really knows? But, Jack, always fun talking to you, even if it's after a Nets loss. And big thanks, to everybody, for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. And be sure to check out Public Link is in the bio. There's a sale currently going on. I would not be surprised if there's a nice Cyber Monday deal as well.
2: 35% off currently. I'm on the website right now, Nick. Type in Smoothie King or type in Brooklyn Buzz to look for our store. Smoothie Brooklyn King, not
1: Buzz- popular tonight.
2: <laughs> so Smoothie King might not be selling great, but, you know, it's still a fire shirt. Uh, and if you, you want, know, you can always cop the Brooklyn Buzz classic, you know, this hoodies. And if you just want to support with stickers, it's not just merch and apparel. It's all the little things in between. So, yeah, 35% off for apparently, Nick, the next day and four hours as we speak. So uh, make sure you cop it sooner rather than later.